This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to the twelfth episode of the Pitch to Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host Ben Jones, joined as always by my co-host John Ka. John, I have a question for you, which is: Do you think, given 100 pitches, you could make contact against an MLB pitcher, any MLB pitcher? If it's Zach Greinke and he's only throwing Ephises, <laughs> I might have a shot in a hundred swings, but. It, it literally might be like one one bat at bat that I get like contact at, I think. I don't know, man. Even that, you're talking about future Hall of Famer Zach Grinky, you know? Like even even his worst pitch, I feel like, could could get me on any day. I, oh, like, for sure. I'm, I don't even know if I could get a contact off of like Williams asked to Dio throwing just <laughs> lobbing things up there for anybody to put into play. So yeah. Um, the reason I ask is because that's been a hot topic of conversation on Twins Twitter because uh, John Bonas of the uh, of Twins Daily and of the Gleaming in the Geek podcast claims that he, who I believe is like mid-50s, could make contact off of an MLB pitcher, uh, <laughs> to which I would say bullshit. And I don't think anybody really could, let alone uh, somebody who is well past their prime like that. So, um you know, say say what you will about uh, anybody's capability, but one of the hardest things to do in sports is to make contact with a ball coming at you 100 miles an hour or a breaking yeah. ball coming at you 85. And mm-hmm. so the the idea that just any random person could do it, I think, is pretty far-fetched. So. Yeah, I mean, part of it at this point with increased velocities and things like that is just you're just – you're kind of using the swing to make contact. You're not really necessarily like, you don't exactly know where the ball is, but the way your swing path will work and things like that, like it'll at some point collide with the ball and potentially end up in a, in a hit. So that's, that's kind of the way I think baseball is played now because the reaction times are so incredibly fast and being able to make those calculations so quickly. um, It's definitely possible for major league hitters. That's why they're in the majors, but at the same time, part of it is making sure you have a good swing and um, understanding, you know, maybe what type of pitch is coming out of the hand so that you can have an optimal at bat to potentially make contact. Yeah. Listen, sometimes I miss my glass when I'm pouring myself a glass of wine. <laughs> and so I don't think there's any chance that I could hit a baseball uh, yeah. coming at me that fast. So. Well, that's why I'm saying, you know, I want a 60 mile an hour Zach Greinke Ephus. You know, that's basically yeah, there, like there slow pitch, slow pitch softball. <laughs> there we go. Well, we will uh, check that explicit box and move right on today. Uh, some quick programming reminders, as always. Remember, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod uh, if you're interested in that, and be sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice as well. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening, will be there, and you can subscribe and make sure to get the new episodes in your feed every Monday morning. For today's episode, we'll be going over the Astros and the Guardians series. We'll be talking about the highs against the Astros at the beginning of the week and then against the Guardians at the beginning of this series, the lows with the offense in general that we saw against the Guardians. 
and then of course, you know, our normal topics of conversation, things that have popped up around the twins this week that uh, we want you to know about. So before we get started with that, let's get into the weekly snapshot. So last week, uh, the twins went four and three. They won series against the they won a series against the Astros and tied with the Guardians. The series win against the Astros obviously really stands out because they won the series earlier in the year against them as well beat them again this week and they're done with the Astros and they won both series. And so really great to see the team step up against the high level competition. You know, there were some really resilient games in there as well that I really like to see. And the guardian series, while obviously we would have liked to get away with three wins, I think getting the two given the state of the lineup is pretty good. All things considered. Yeah. I was just thinking about that because yesterday in yesterday's game, right? You had Correa, Buxton and Kepler was kind of out. He eventually came into the game for uh, as a pinch hitter for Kyle Garlick. Um, but essentially the only bench bat they had was Alex Kirilov, who wasn't in the lineup because they were facing a lefty um, in Logan Allen. So the bench was essentially non-existent. Um, they were missing probably three of their best hitters talent wise in, ter- in terms of Gallo Buxton and Correa. And, uh, yeah, the games ended up the way we expected them to with two losses. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more a little bit later. But like I said, I, I think it's a definite win escaping there with two wins given the state of that lineup. I mean, yeah. obviously, I think it feels worse now because you won the first two and lost the second two. And so there's just time that goes into it. But if you would have flipped it the other way, mm-hmm. I think you're coming out of here going like, wow, the Twins were back. Amazing. You know, we beat the Astros. We scraped out those last two wins. I think the 1-0 win especially, we'll talk more about the specifics there, but that's a game that, you know, the 2022 uh, Twins lose so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I, I follow a few Guardians fans online just because of um, being a part of Pitcherless, and you just know a ton of people who are fans sure. everywhere yeah. else. And uh, some of them were like, got two out of four against the Twins, pretty good job. And I'm like, you know, we're only three and a half games apart. Like the twins should probably be just as happy as guardians fans are in the fact that we still managed to split the series. Yeah. This week. And, and if you feel bad about the twins offense right now, just remember that this is what the guardians are like all the time. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> at, at least the twins have the potential to get better. I'm not sure that's happening for the guardians. So mm-hmm. um, for context, like you mentioned, the guardians are three and a half back of the twins right now. The tigers also are three and a half back after getting swept by the White Sox this weekend. Uh, But both the Tigers and Guardians are still five games under 500. The Twins are the only team above 500 with a winning record. Uh, Also, an important thing to note is that the Twins have the 13th best record in the majors. That's seventh best in the AL. Uh, So, you know, just to put that in a little bit more context, there's six teams that make the playoffs in each league. So there would be at least one team, in this case, the Blue Jays, who have a better record than the Twins, uh, and would not make the playoffs if the playoffs started today. So uh, thank you, AL Central. Yeah, exactly. Gotta love that weak competition. (laughs) Definitely. All right. And so without any further ado, let's get into the games. John, let's start with game one versus Houston. Yeah, so game one was a 7-5 victory. Sonny Gray was the starting pitcher. He went six innings with four hits, two earned runs, three walks, and only three strikeouts. Um, but honestly, only giving up four hits against a potent Astros team is pretty decent. Yeah. Um, I, I know if you look at their season numbers, it doesn't look great, but that's because they've pretty much spent the entire season without um, all-star second baseman Jose Altuve. Um, their new pickup in Jose Abreu has been 
pretty dismal. He just has been a shell of his former self. And Dusty Baker, for some reason, still puts Kyle Tucker six in the lineup, despite the fact that he should be leading off for the Astros. So, yeah, uh, only four hits, pretty solid. Um, other than his sinker and his slider, which we're getting a couple whiffs, um, other pitches weren't doing that great, but he was getting a lot of ground balls, which is why, you know, they were able to limit uh, the damage to only two earned runs. Um, of course, the weird thing here is, you know, Sonny Gray has made a lot of uh, hubbub about, you know, wanting to be the you know third time through the order sort of pitcher sort of guy. And in this game, he did start the seventh inning, third time through the order, but he ended up immediately giving a leadoff double to Kyle Tucker. Then he walked Jose Abreu after that. So, you know, two guys on base. The only thing in, def- in his defense was that he had a pretty low pitch count. He was incredibly efficient for the first six innings. So I understand why they let him stay in the game. That being said, though, third time through the order stats so far this season, uh, his batting average, OVP, and slugging against are 222, 300, and 352, respectively, which actually aren't bad numbers when you compare to last year when his uh, slash line against was 271, 371, and a 696 slugging against. So a lot of that is because uh, he hasn't given up a lot of homers, which unfortunately he did this week. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, Sonny Gray's been looking pretty solid, and I understand why they're willing to let him go third time through the, the or- through the order. It's just you know funny anecdotes like this that make you wonder, ah oh, man, should they, should they have let him let him stay in? Yeah, this this week especially because the exact same thing happened against the Guardians yesterday yep. uh, for Sonny Gray, and then against Joe Ryan today, uh, and so that that's where you start to see, hey, you know. This isn't just analytics BS that a lot of people like to say it is. There's real substance behind this. You know, we'll, we'll talk about those ones more, but this one, given where the game was at, I think they were up by three at the time yep. uh, mm-hmm. when he was in. So I was I was okay with it. Um, it wasn't the end of the world, although, uh, you know, you can talk about what happened next. Yeah, so like you mentioned, they had a 4-1 lead, two men got on base, um, and the Twins brought in Brock Stewart to kind of, uh, you know, clean up uh, and be the fireman. Uh, But unfortunately he then gave up a grand slam to Jose Altuve. Uh, So that turned that four, one lead into a five, four deficit. Um, Of course, the hero of the game here probably was Royce Lewis in his season debut. Uh, He hit a Homer in the third inning, I believe, and then had the game tying single in the ninth. Uh, And I guess the true hero of the game was Ryan Jeffers who won in extra innings with a two run Homer and has now the honor of having the hardest hit uh, baseball this season for the Twins. I believe it was, it was like around 117 miles an hour um, out to left field. So pretty solid for the team. Unfortunately, though, their strikeout woes continued. Um, they struck out 15 times total in this game. But as we mentioned last week, they're just having a lot of issues with uh, strikeouts. And when you face teams with good pitchers uh, like Houston, um, it really limits your ability to do damage in um, in these games. Yeah. Um, a couple things with Jeffers and Royce Lewis, I'm trying to find the numbers here, but I believe that that Jeffers home run was the hardest hit home run in the stat cast era. So, uh, sorry, hardest hit twins home run in the stat cast. Okay. That's what it was. So that, that makes more sense, but, um, yeah, 117.4 off the bat, just absolutely smoked it. The only question was if it had the elevation to get out and it did. And then Royce Lewis had the, uh, highest win probability added by a single player, 
uh, in a game this year in his very first game as a member of the Twins. So came up and immediately made major impact for the offense. Obviously, he hit the big three-run home run, and then in the eighth inning hit the game-tying single to eventually send it to extras to even give Ryan Jeffers the chance to win it. And so, you know, we, we've kind of been joking about, oh, Royce Lewis is coming to save the team. He's the savior. And then yeah. sure enough, his first game, he really was the savior. Like he was the only reason the Twins even were kind of in that game. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to like blow things to gigantic proportions, but it's a heck of a way to reintroduce yourself to yeah. uh, to the majors with this game. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we saw from him last year, too, where he came up and he immediately started hitting. I, I still have a few long-term concerns. And, you know, we see later as the week's gone on where he's striking out a lot. Mm-hmm. He's just not really walking. He's not really taking pitches. He's coming up to swing the bat. And kind of similar to what happened to Larnick, where he had those first two weeks that were really hot, pitchers started to figure out the holes in the swing. I think Lewis will have that same adjustment, but he was the top pick for a reason. He's hit at every single level he's been at. He'll figure it out, but there's a good chance, you know, there, there's some rough moments in the middle here as we get adjusted. Yeah. Well, moving on to game two, this was a 5-1 loss. Uh, Joe Ryan was the starting pitcher. He went four innings with four hits, five earned runs, three blocks, and six strikeouts. The result was a little bit skewed because he actually gave up three runs on two homers. Um, I mean, Joe Ryan hasn't really had too much of a homer issue this season, um, but, you know, take those three runs away and it's, you know, two earned runs. I'm not saying that's a way to, you know, validate this start in any sort of way, but it is a reality that, yeah, those two homers really impacted his line. The fastball was its usual self, had a 35% uh, combined called uh, strike plus whiff rate. The slider and the splitter also combined for knife whiffs, so the secondaries were pretty solid. The mistake pitches weren't even that bad. They weren't like middle-middle. Um, the sliders that got hit probably could have been a little bit lower in the zone. Uh, the four-seamer that got taken for a home run uh, was probably a little too low. It was in the top third of the zone, but it was just kind of in between that top third and middle third. Um Overall, it was a fine start. You know, six strikeouts and four innings is still pretty good. It's just, yeah, those two homers um, weren't uh, definitely did not help him at all. And so uh, that, yeah, he gave pretty much gave up all the runs in, in that loss. Yeah, there's not much to add, right? He wasn't as sharp as he usually is, but the Twins weren't really ever in this game from the beginning. The offense looked pretty flat the whole way through. So, um, you know, getting a mediocre start from joe ryan in this case isn't the end of the world right and he still only gave up you know four hits to right this astros team um of course the bats just pretty much were non-existent when you only have one run obviously they managed six hits on the night struck out 12 times uh christian vasquez was the only player with the rbi um and yeah it was just a tough night overall for the twins and you know i these things happen when you face the astros you know their pitching is so solid um of course this one came against brandon bielak who um isn't a household name by any stretch of the imagination um so it is a little unfortunate that this is how we come out against uh, this guy but um the 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 astros pitching factory is is so good another guy who you know gets the best game of the season against the twins because the twins can't hit right right um and and so yeah it's a little disappointing really b only starting because i think the astros have like two or three starters on the injured list right now yep mm-hmm. and so um yeah it, it's a tough look but again you won that one the day before maybe there's a little bit of emotional letdown after that really big come from behind win and so um you know then you move on to game three 
yeah, game three was a really solid one. The rubber match was an 8-2 victory for the Twins to seal the series win. Louis Varlin was the starting pitcher with seven innings, four hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. This was probably the best start of the season for Varlin. The four-seeper yeah. was getting called strikes. Cutter and slider combined for 10 whips. Honestly, his underlying metrics are really, really solid. He's got a really good low walk rate. He's whiffing guys. Um, it is also really solid uh, at inducing ground balls. So um, those are all recipes for success to kind of limit uh, base runners and, and limit uh, hits and earned runs. He's got a little bit of a homer problem. Um, it's, a, it's a little high this season. And his BABIP and his left on base rate are kind of lucky. Usually those... Um, you know, they're above average, and usually the expectation is that those numbers are going to regress to the mean. That doesn't always happen for pitchers, though. So it could be that, you know, he is is limiting um, because of he's inducing ground balls. The BABIP is low. Um, and because of that, you know, he's leaving more men on base because he's not walking a lot of guys and, you know, preventing um, preventing hits and things like that. So it's not necessarily like a mirage. It's not necessarily like, oh, he's just getting lucky. It, it could be really solid stuff. And honestly, as this team's number five starter, and we'll talk about, you know, maybe what are the twins going to do? That's obviously the million dollar question, I think, uh, when Maeda is healthy. Uh, he's been performing super well. I think as a number five starter, this is more than what you probably expected from Barland. Definitely. And I mean, the nice thing too, is even if that, Babbitt or the left on base percentage do regress to the mean a little bit. You know, you mentioned he's had a bit of a homer problem. That's not entirely unexpected for a guy who was making what is like eighth major league start, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that almost always improves with the more experience that you get. Right. And so, especially somebody like Louis Varland, who's a worker, he's worked up through the system. He's never been like this highly touted prospect, but he still made his name because he's been able to improve every single year. And so, um, I, I think while you're right that some of that may regress a bit, I think there's still places for him to improve. And so the better thing to me is seeing you know, his stuff, seeing his four-seamer get that kind of velo play up a little bit. Yeah. The uh, whiffs he was getting on the cutter and slider, that's the bigger stuff where I'm looking long-term. Louis Varland, can you stick around, be you know eventually a mid-rotation type of player? Absolutely, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so um, we'll, we'll talk more about Kenta Maeda here in a bit, but it is interesting to note that this start basically came on the same day that Kenta Maeda started his rehab assignment. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the Twins will have a decision to make there soon. Yeah, the the only thing, and I, I would not consider this worrying at all, is the fact that Varlin, when he um, pitched against the Yankees in his first start this season, his fastball was averaging 96 miles an hour. He's settled to around 95 for kind of his, his other remaining starts. So I think that's where we're going to expect to see him. One tick isn't, you know, a bad thing really at all, but it's just something notable because I think there was a lot of hype when he came up against the Yankees and was like, holy crap, he's throwing 96. Um, he's settling more in 95, and that might be what he's at for the for the rest of the season. And I think um, that's fine. He's, he's learning to succeed well, even um, maybe without that velocity that a lot of people were hyping up early in the season. Definitely. I think uh, Joe Ryan hit 97 in his first start of the season. Yeah. So yeah. get the adrenaline pumping a little bit, get a little extra on it. You know, Joe Ryan is 91 to 93 typically. And so right. uh, that, it, that's not entirely unexpected for your first start. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, with eight runs, obviously the bats came alive. Um, they had 11 hits on the day. Uh, four RBI for Donovan Solano, which was his highest RBI total this season. Um kind of some good evidence that the twins are being aggressive too. They had two stolen bases, one from Kyle Farmer and one from Willie Castro both ended up scoring as well. Um, so yeah, just an overall great day from the team batting was working. The hitters were great. The pitchers were great. 
um, not a lot that you can really complain about. Yeah, the uh, with eight runs, obviously there's nothing to complain about. I do want to give a special shout out to Donovan Solano, who I at times have questioned his need on this team if maybe the Twins were just better at uh, better off with having Garlic as a right-handed bat over Solano, but. Mm-hmm. Solano's been really, really good uh, this week, especially when, you know, his average has climbed up. He's gotten some big hits and big spots. He got an extra base hit with the bases loaded uh, in what seems like the first time for forever for the Twins. And so, um, yeah, I I mean, Donnie Barrels has been barreling the ball. He's been playing a lot better. He's not going to bring you that much in the power department. He still hasn't hit a home run. He's taken a couple walks, though. He's putting the ball in play. And obviously we don't want him batting third or fourth or fifth like he has been this week because of the injuries. But as a bench bat, he's provided really good value so far. I mean, in yesterday's game, he was probably five feet away from getting his his first homer of the season. (laughs) Yeah, it was Uh, close. (laughs) That was a fun one. I was at that game and I was just like, oh, man, that looked so good off the bat. And it's like, oh, it's just a double. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Good old Donnie Barrels. So he he honestly is actually kind of impressing how well he's doing against both righties and lefties. Like he's been yeah. pinch hitting in some spots where he's like, you're bringing up a right hand bat to pinch hit this guy for wait what? And then he like makes good contact, and you're like, hmm, I guess uh, I guess it does work out. Yeah. Well, and he he's a great example too of you know the type of guy that goes against a lot of the issues that the Twins have had this year where he's putting the ball in play he's making contact right he's going to strike out at their major league pitchers it happens but yeah when you have a guy on third base with less than uh two outs right maybe Michael A. Taylor's coming up to hit okay Donovan Solano is the perfect guy to pinch hit in that situation because you yeah. know more likely than not he's going to put it in play and that run can get in right exactly Good old Donnie Barrels. <laughs> well, moving on to the Guardian series, this was a four-game affair, and game one was a 7-6 victory. Uh, Pablo Lopez was the starter, 5.2 innings, six earned runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. If you just looked at that line, you probably thought, wow, this was a garbage start. But actually, it was five really good innings, and then Pablo just fell apart in the sixth. Um, he basically got singled out uh, in that inning, couldn't get anything to work. Uh it was just, you know, single after single guys were just kind of getting in. Um, and yeah, it was just, just, uh, just a really poor inning for Pablo. Yeah. The, uh, the guardians did what the guardians love to do, which is hit singles and not much else, which is good because if they had some extra base hits mixed in there, the twins probably wouldn't have had a chance to win. Right. I think literally the only extra base hit in that was like a double from Andres Jimenez. I think that was like the only one. Um, yeah. everything else was a, was a single. So it's just unfortunate. Sometimes that just happens to pitchers where just nothing is working and balls are falling. Um, One last thing with uh, Pablo Lopez here before we move on is we should note. So those four, those first four games where he was terrific, he looked like an ace, got Mm -hmm. that big extension from the twins. Uh, Ever since those first four starts, he has a 6.14 ERA. Um, So obviously not what you want still overall, thanks to those first four starts, the numbers aren't bad, Right, but where, you know, some of the underlying pitch metrics aren't super exciting, seeing him kind of fall apart against the Guardians there. Those first five innings, it was great. Pablo's back. Pablo's doing what Pablo does. But um, I don't think it's still anything we want to be concerned about long term. I think just he's averaging out to be more the pitcher we've seen historically with the Marlins, where he has really high highs. His lows aren't that low, but he can get hit around a little bit occasionally. Right. I mean, I think the big thing here is that he just, yeah, didn't give up an extra base hit. He was just, right. just getting... There, there is a question about yeah. 
there's the question about whether that's more Pablo or whether that's more the Guardians who are not capable of hitting many extra base hits. <laughs> that's true. Outside of Jose Ramirez. So um, there's a little bit of that too, but yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, one thing too is his pitch metrics weren't particularly exciting either. Nothing really great. I mean, he did manage five strikeouts when his stuff wasn't great. So, you know, it's good. But like you mentioned, you know, the lows aren't super low. But when the highs come, they're nice. So hopefully he gets back on the horse there. Of course, with the bats here, uh, they were they were able to kind of overcome that six those six earned runs for Pablo. Uh, he had a game tying two earned homer from Royce Lewis in the eighth, coming in clutch. Uh, Solano with another good good night. He went two for two with an RBI after replacing Buxton at the DH role because Buxton got hit in the ribs with a ninety seven mile hour fastball, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and then. The Twins actually did something again with the bases loaded um, with zero outs. Willie Castro with the walk-off sacrifice fly. Um, of course, it's kind of ironic that it's a sack fly. <laughs> like, it right. could have been a hit. It's <laughs> like, no, they they just, um, no, we're going to get runs the hard way. But, um, hey, when you have a guy in third and, you know, a sacrifice fly, that usually works out pretty well. Listen, I'm not going to complain. I'll take the win. I'll take the runs with the bases loaded. The other thing that I thought was... I don't know, just kind of funny about the situation was uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, I believe, was the uh, he was the guy runner who, at third. Yeah, I he think. was the runner yeah. at third, and they pinch ran Ryan Jeffers, who I don't think is any faster than Christian Vasquez. <laughs> yeah. But thanks to the injuries, the short bench, he was the best option they had. So Ryan Jeffers, pinch runner, won the game. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny because that whole sequence, like Vasquez was just like moving base by base, and you were like, oh, maybe he could. No, he can't make it from second. <laughs> Uh, oh shoot now he's at third who do right. we have on the bench ryan jeffers literally he's gotta be faster option. right yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like like yeah i mean probably when you look at their like uh their sprints to be jeffers has got to be just a little bit faster by just the virtue of being younger but uh yeah it was one of those sequences where it's like well jeffers isn't probably going to beat out a tag any better than christian yeah. vasquez but a little a little peace of mind is nice yeah, the uh, this is a great example of the injuries too in general, which is, you know, in the healthy version of the Twins, the person who you bring off to pinch run in that situation is Willie Castro or Nick Gordon or Michael A. Taylor. But yep. Nick Gordon's hurt. Willie Castro, Michael A. Taylor are everyday players right now, basically. So you, you just didn't have any options. Right, exactly. Well, moving on to game two, this was the 1-0 victory that we alluded to earlier. Bailey Ober with the start, six innings, four hits, zero and runs, three strikeouts. Ober actually really enjoys pitching against the Guardians. He's had 18 total shutout innings in 2022 and 2023. Nice. Um, he had some, you know, a couple bad starts in 2021, but that's when he was a rookie. So, you know, we'll take it. Um, of course, there was nothing terribly remarkable about this start. I mean, he only got three strikeouts. The changeup was probably, again, a little too high in the zone. Slider command was all over the place. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, like, wowing them with great stuff. It's just that the Guardians literally can't do anything. <laughs> um, and so yeah. when you run into a team that's, you know, doing as poorly offensively as that, um, you can get away with having only three strikeouts because you're able to limit hits and earned runs. Yeah, they did pull in pretty early here too, probably trying to avoid some of that third time through the order. Bad yeah. luck. Mm-hmm. I think he only had like 68, 69 pitches, something like that. The, the guard is just their approach in general. A lot of the starters, you know, the reason Pablo Lopez goes back out there and pitches into the six, why – Tomorrow, you know, the next day, Sunday Gray pitches into seventh. Joe Ryan pitches into the seventh is because they're trying to swing early, make contact, you know, put balls in play. And so it's kept pitch counts low, but I think then it's kind of also had the reverse effect, which is 
sometimes the starters have been left in a little bit too long because the pitch count was low, but they didn't mm-hmm. do that with Bailey over this time around. Yeah. They pulled him after the six and it worked out. Yeah. And then in a one zero victory, there's really nothing to talk about with the offense. Polanco had the <laughs> game winning RBI double. And that's pretty much all I can say. Yeah. Uh, that was literally it. There, there's literally yeah, nothing else to add. Really <laughs> so it was just like, well, they scored one run. And the reason why is because as bad as an offense that the Cleveland is, Minnesota is not that far behind in no. terms of how poor they are. Um, I mean, yeah, they managed eight hits on the night. Uh, sorry, not eight hits on the night. They managed six hits on the night. Um, they got three walks. So, you know, they had a number of people on base, but um, just wasn't able to do much. The notable thing here was Duran had a 1.2 inning Ooh. save three strikes of course it was uh i think the last strikeout was just like uh just really you just felt bad for the cleveland batter um who i think it was brennan right or i know it wasn't will brennan it was someone else um but it was just like how do you compete against a guy who like is throwing like 104 yeah i mean so his fastest pitch i mean this this was like must see tv where he's pumping fastballs up there at 104 his fastest one came in on the broadcast at 104.6 yeah mlb recalculated it afterwards as 104.8 yep. so breaking his record from his previous game and he's gonna hit 105 at some point it's just a matter of when yeah i believe the hardest pitch ever recorded by Statcast was a rollist chapman at 105.8 a couple of years ago and so I don't know if he'll be able to beat that, but man, it certainly looks like he potentially could, but it's hard for a reliever to really get you psyched up like that. But mm-hmm. Duran does it. Duran just that crazy splinker that you can throw at 100. I think he touched 101 with it in this game. Yeah. He's got the curveball that just has that devastating break at 89 that just throws hitters way off too. I think there's times where, um, you know, he's about as dominant of a reliever as there is in the game. Right. And, it's it's nice that we have him. It's maybe a little unfortunate that we had to have him go 1.2 innings because yeah. the rest of the bullpen is just hot garbage right now. Actually, they're I, I'll take that back. They're not hot. They're not all hot garbage, but there's just not a lot of guys that you can trust in high leverage situations yeah. right now. So Griffin Jacks has been better. Yep. Uh, Giovanni mm-hmm. Moran has been pretty good the last month and a half. Yep. Brock Stewart uh, had been used, but the other thing was all of those guys have been used pretty heavily. Uh, and so I think mostly it was Duran hadn't been used, I think, since, since game one in the Astros series. Yep. And so he was pretty well rested. Like it's one zero. Let's just go out. We know that he's going to get all five of these outs if we ask him to. And he did the only I think they got one hit off of him. And it was basically like the batter just happened to I think it was Miles Straw. He was laughing yeah. at the velocity coming in and just happened to get his bat on a fastball and squeezed it through the hole. So yeah. one little sidebar here, like Miles Straw, it's uh... I mean, I know this is just purely like anecdotal, like it isn't real at all. I was looking at his stats and they don't back it up, but it always feels like he's like one of the worst hitters in baseball. Um, it always feels like he gets hits against the Twins. Like he got two hits off um, off Sonny Gray on Saturday's game. He gets a hit again off Johan Duran in this one. It's just like, man, this guy like really can't hit. He's batting 242 this season, so he's actually pretty solid. Say for Miles Straw, that's practically MVP level. I I know, like he he was like a good commodity in Houston uh, because of his speed. Uh, they got traded to Cleveland, had like half a, half a good season, and then it was like, oh wait, this guy actually can't hit. Yeah. So, um, but it's funny that he yeah he was the one who got the hit off Duran. Well, and you definitely feel it every time he gets on base too, because of that speed. And he's he's besides the speed, he's just a good base stealer as yeah. well. And so he's just the one guy where it's like. 
please just don't let him get on base, right? Well, so there are a few yeah. times in this series where they walked him. Like, he's most likely not going to get hit. Just pump in strikes and you'll be mm-hmm. fine. So well, it's the, definitely – I think yeah. it just sticks out because it's more frustrating when he does get on base. Completely. And the way that the Guardians, you know, structure their lineup, yeah, he's the number nine hitter, but the number one hitter is usually Stephen Kwan, who is, in my opinion, one of the best pure hitters in baseball. Um, mm, and so – maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, Luis Arias is probably still number one in that list, but Quan is just incredible. Um, he uh, he almost will always like make contact and, and right. get straw over to you know second or third or something like that. So um, yeah, it, it's annoying when he when he gets on base because if you feel like he shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's definitely very frustrating. So they do stick out. Yeah. Well, that is when the week went sideways with Game 3. This was a 4-2 loss. Sonny Gray was the starting pitcher that day. 6.2 innings, 10 hits. Yikes. Three earned runs, two strikeouts, and one homer. Um, it was basically just another day where he wasn't missing any bats. We've seen this kind of for the last three or four starts where his secondaries just aren't doing anything. Curveball wasn't located particularly well, especially on that uh, homer from Will Brennan, which yeah. um, notably was the first homer that Sonny gray has given up this season um he was actually the last starting pitcher i think in in the majors to not give up a homer um so pretty incredible run from him that he lasted until june um but yeah he gave up a homer he basically just hung a curveball and will brennan took it yard for a two-run homer that overall command was pretty much spotty like i mentioned and so yeah when you give up 10 hits to the guardians it's not particularly great um because like we mentioned they're a pretty terrible offense but um, yeah, they were just getting a lot of balls to fall kind of in shallow in the shallow outfield, which again kind of speaks to the point where it's like they just can't get a lot of extra base hits. But yeah, when they do, you know, they'll they'll take a yard. Well, and it also speaks a little bit to the frustration of Sonny Gray being out there in the seventh too, where he yeah. hadn't been that sharp, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's again just the pitch count happens to be low because of the Guardians approach and how they swing early, they swing often, they're making contact, they don't right. strike out. And so um you know, that, that's one where it, maybe you're letting the pitch count dictate uh, your situation with Sonny Gray rather than the actual situation itself. And you would have been better off bringing in a reliever for that seventh inning instead of letting Sonny Gray go back out there when I think coming into that inning, he had already given up the eight hits. And so, mm-hmm, right. yeah, it, it just wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, they, they pulled him with 90 pitches and he pitched 6.2 innings. So I think right. he was... Um, I can't remember where the pitch count was at when he entered the, the seventh, but... It was low enough where it's like, yeah, it makes sense, but also it's second time through the order, you know, just just take him out. You you've, you can you have you have a, I think at that point it was a a two one lead, I believe, or maybe no, it was a two, maybe it was a two zero lead, yeah, um, for the Twins. And um, it was like you know just bring in a bring in a reliever, you know, wide well, and the other thing too is to push back against myself basically is <laughs> the the bullpen has been so bad outside of Duran, yeah, that's true, um, where. You know, Jorge Lopez has been a complete disaster, who we'll talk about more here in a second. Yeah. But, um, you know, Duran clearly wasn't available after going long the other day. And so maybe you just didn't have confidence in the bullpen to get the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. And so they're like, mm-hmm. hey, if we can squeeze one more inning out of Sonny Gray, we're in a much better spot because Sonny Gray, third time through the order, probably is still better than Jose De Leon, who may have been the guy in that situation. Right. Yeah. And it was it was a 2-1 lead at that point so it was pretty high leverage all things considered yeah um so maybe that's where it makes sense because it's like we're our only high leverage guy is Turan, who we really can't bring out uh who we can't really bring out so yeah it's uh it's a little unfortunate um 
with the relievers, I guess, just to kind of go in that direction, um, Giovanni Moran actually looked pretty solid. I thought it was actually interesting that they brought him in um, against uh, Jose Ramirez. Um, not that they would have ever gotten any sort of uh, real platoon advantage because Ramirez is a switch hitter, but um, bringing him in, I thought, to kind of get that last out in the seventh was probably just a really ballsy move, really, uh, from the Twins, in my opinion. And um, he struck him out, which was really cool, too. Yeah. Um, and then he did face, you know, as the only lefty in the pen, he, he faced, um, I think, two lefties in the in the seventh inning. So um, that's I, maybe that's probably why they were bringing him in, because they knew that he was going to get the platoon advantage in the eighth. Um, but then uh, he got replaced by uh, Jorge Lopez uh, with, I believe, we got one man on base or not one on base. Sorry, no one on base. Um, one man on base, but then Lopez looked good, struck out Mike Zanino. Um, but then he came back in the eighth and basically just hung a changeup to Stephen Kwan. Um, it, it just, man, it, I don't know what's going. to Stephen Kwan, Sue. Like yeah, you said, exactly. he, he's a good hitter. He does not hit for power. No, you know? he doesn't. Not at all. Like, it's just, man, it's just it's such a gift. Um, and the weird thing about Lope, uh, weird thing about Lopez is basically other than a one two three inning in Houston, he's given up multiple uh, at least one run in his last six appearances. Like he just is to a point where he can't be trusted at all. You know, he, they brought him in in that Toronto game where they were up, I believe, like six runs. He gave up three runs in the ninth inning, and they had to bring in Brock Stewart to get a save. Right. Um, and I was talking with. Um, John Foley about this, you know, why is Lopez doing so poorly? And part of it was, is his pitch mix. He's trying to do a little bit more this season. He's throwing his fastball more, which is basically his worst pitch. He's throwing his curveball more as well, which isn't that great. And then, um, Doyoung Park of MLB.com had an article, I think yesterday where they were talking about how Lopez is trying to tweak something with his mechanics. He's basically can't find his sinker and his sinker slider changeup combo. Like that has been its bread and butter. His most of his yeah. career, and he's like, I just can't feel my sinker right now. And they're they're trying some things mechanically, but the reality of the twins is that their bullpen is in such poor condition that they have to bring out Lopez in order to try these new mechanics, like in these scenarios. And it's one of those things where I'm like, it, as a reliever, it's hard to kind of do that because you're kind of expected to be available pretty much every single day. So, you know, you throw a bullpen session trying to figure out a pitch. And that means you're you're not pitching that day, and maybe not even the next day. So I, I get it that it can be difficult for guys like this to, you know, tweak something and, and figure something out during the season. But it's kind of insane that not only is he changing his pitch mix to kind of a, a less favorable pitch mix, but he's also kind of lost mechanically too. And yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance we don't really see Jorge Lopez in any high leverage situations here for a bit. Um, Griffin Jacks has looked really good in his last five or so appearances since yep. his struggles. He seemed to turn things around. Emilio Pagan has been really, really good. There was a, I can't remember which yep. game it was, but he came out, he threw two innings. I think it maybe it was 2.1 innings and basically kept the twins in it. Didn't give up a run and, uh, they ended up getting the win. Uh, deal bar is back. Moran has been really good. Stewart has been pretty good. And so, you know, I, I think they're for the first time in a while, maybe in a position where they can knock Jorge Lopez back a little bit and give him some more low leverage innings until he figures stuff out to that end here are his last five games uh it's not great so this one against Cleveland right he pitched the one inning 
uh, gave up the home run. He hit a batter. He's hit a batter in each of his last four appearances. Oh, man, so, dude, that fastball, like, you felt so bad for Josh Naylor because they hit oh. him right in the knee. It was a 97-mile fastball. Like, you, he clearly wasn't trying to hit him, but it was just like, I know. oh, man, the, that's uh, going to hurt. The, the one that I didn't – that the one that really bothered me was the one against Houston where he had clearly lost his command. He had almost hit a couple guys and finally did hit a guy, right? And so you can imagine just from the Houston perspective where they're like – Man, take him out of the game because that was the game we were up 8-2 as well. And so I think yeah. they were trying to give him a chance to work on some things, but they, he just couldn't get out of it. So that was uh, the game before this, Houston. Uh, he, let's see, how many players did he, or batters did he face? He faced four batters. He didn't get an out. Uh, gave up two home runs. Gave up the hit batter, right? Was all over the place. Also walked a guy. Mm-hmm. And then the time before that, that was the one, two, three, technically against Houston. But he still yeah. hit a batter in that appearance as well and got a double play. Um, and then before that, there was the Toronto game where he didn't get an out again, gave up three runs, gave up a homer, hit another batter. <laughs> and then the game before that, which was all the way back against the Giants, uh, he made it through an inning, but gave up a two-run homer, gave up two hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, like you're saying, the home runs have been a problem where last five games, given up five home runs, last four games, he's hit four batters. It's been all over the place for him. And so that if he had options, I would imagine this is where they would send him down to AAA to work on some things. He doesn't. And so they're left trying to figure it out here. And given the state of the bullpen, you know, he's going to get chances because they need him to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to dig too much into the analytics because sometimes, you know, it can get a little boring, but his, his hard contact rate, which is just basically the number of balls that he's given up that are hit 95 miles an hour over basically all his plate appearances. Um, it's 31%. So basically a third of the time he's like letting rockets go. Um, He's not getting any whiffs. Thankfully that's never been like a big part of his game, Mm -hmm. but last year in his all-star season, he had 11.5% whiff rate, which is still below average, but decent. His all home run rate last year was 0.5, like basically half a home run every nine innings, which is really solid for a reliever right now. It's 2.25 home runs per nine. His ground ball rates gone down. It's still pretty elite, but it's not as elite as it used to be. Um, and if we look at those individual pinches, like his sinker is just getting demolished this season. Um, the slider is getting demolished. Um, like, I think maybe the reason why he's going to his four seamer is that it's working out a little bit better for him, but it's still a bad pitch. So it's like, he's kind of, he's replacing his sinker, which is a great pitch with a fastball. That's a bad pitch. That's maybe getting a little bit better results, but I don't know. It's just, um, it's just all over the place for, for Lopez. And it's kind of unfortunate because he started out the season really, really well. He didn't even give up a hit in his first like five appearances or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was so hot and then he lost it so quickly. And so, yeah. like I said, the twins are going to need him to figure it out. But also this is why when they traded for him, it was kind of a low return that they had to give back to the Orioles. Right. Because he, was very unsuccessful before this. And these home run problems, especially as a starter um, were very apparent. And so, um, you know, they had to give up some prospect capital, but it wasn't anything like they had to give up um, to pick up Tyler Molly. Right. And that's just also a little bit different type of pitcher, right? There's different relievers versus starters. Starters always going to be more expensive, but still even, you know, given where he was at when he got traded, where he had a ERA under two, he had just, uh, been selected to the all-star game it was a little surprising how little the twins had to give up and maybe this is why maybe this was kind of the consensus consensus around him where it was you know he was very good for that first half don't get me wrong but we're worried about him regressing back to his old self 
Yeah. That being said, though, one of the guys that gave up was Yenier Cano, who like currently is like one he of... was he was nothing when they traded him. <laughs> I know, I know he was nothing, but right now he's like one of the best relievers in baseball. I know it's stupid because, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? In, in retrospect, it's like, oh, we gave up Yenier Cano. He, Yenier Cano was on the Twins. He got option back to AAA because he couldn't throw strikes, and he's oh, yeah. still not really throwing yeah. that many strikes. But yeah. he he was literally just a throw in a wild card for the Orioles to be like, maybe this turns into something, and they right. got lucky that it did. And it's very possible that the second half of the year he's complete garbage and it's fine. But right now, you know, I don't know. I, that's another one where it's like I have no issues about trading Cano away because oh, he was absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. The other unfortunate thing, though, is that Kid Povich is also looking pretty solid, too, right yeah. now. So. Well, the, the good thing is that the, the only thing that the front office, in my opinion, has consistently done is develop pitchers. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I'm still pretty confident that the pitchers, they won't miss out on. Now, Christian Encarnacion Strand, I may have some other thoughts about, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Kate Povich, I'm not losing sleep over. Yeah, no, I, I think it's at, at, at the time of the trade, it was like, yeah, that's pretty solid for an all-star closer. I'm right. fine with that because yeah, Cano pitched in some games last season and he did not look good. At he was all. a third. He was a thirty-year-old rookie who looked horrible in the majors. You yeah, know? yeah. So at the end of the day, yes, it, the metrics look bad right now. Especially, you know, I think that's what people are saying about the Tyler Molly trade too, right? The metrics look terrible for the Tyler Molly trade, but at the time it was pretty solid. And you know, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. Like yeah. at the end of the day. It is what it is, right? You you don't expect a guy to all of a sudden come down with a random shoulder issue and then the next season look decent for a couple starts and then turns out, oh, he needs Tommy John. So, yeah. Not, nothing you can really do. Yeah, that's enough ranting. Uh, I guess we could rant about the bats in this one because they couldn't <laughs> string together any hits. Jorge Polanco had a leadoff homer and we we're like, yes, let's go. We're going to, you know, basically knock out this rookie and Logan Allen and then Logan Allen was like, no, I'm actually like a really solid pitcher and um, shut down the Twins, essentially. They they couldn't string together any hits. Um, it always seemed like, yeah, a guy got on base, but then they couldn't do anything to get him home. Um, and then Classe came in in the ninth inning and shut everything down. Um, shameless plug, I guess. Uh, John Foley <laughs> and I talked about Classe on my fantasy uh, baseball pod this past weekend. And we were talking about how Classe kind of struggled the season against lefties. Pretty much all his blown saves came off, um, you know, a lefty doing something. And we were we were kind of texting during this game. And it was like, oh, wait, we've got uh, Willie Castro and Alex Kirilov coming up in the ninth. They both can hit left. And then Willie Castro just looked completely silly on, on a couple of those um, uh, deadly 100-mile uh, pitchers that, that Classe can throw. And then uh, Kirilov, like had like an okay at bat, but it, it ended up being nothing as well. So um, yeah, just uh, just your classic, like twins can't do anything. And then, oh, they face the best reliever in baseball. Who's having a little struggles this year, uh, but he just shuts the door on them. Yeah. Just a uh, perfect time for him to regain form and look great. Uh, same thing with uh, James Karinczak, who's like, yeah, can't, uh, he, he can't help but walk batters, and I don't think the Twins took a walk against them all series. No. Yeah, not, again, nothing fixes a baseball team like facing the Twins. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, moving on to game four, this was um, not exactly the rubber match. It was, you know, a 2-1 uh, in terms of the, the games for the series, but obviously you want to come away with a series win. Unfortunately, the Twins had a 2-1 loss. Joe Ryan was the pitcher, 6.2 innings with two earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Uh, this was actually the the pitching duel against Tristan McKenzie, who came back off the IL after dealing with 
um i believe it was like a mate like a terra's strain or something i forget what the actual injury was called but basically something it, with the shoulder basically yeah something with his shoulder yeah and he, he'd been out basically for two months and uh he came back and just dominated the heck out of the twins uh but going back to ryan basically none of the pitches were particularly effective from him today four seamer was pretty much about where we expected to be but then his secondaries were essentially non-existent so when you're relying on a four seamer that he pitched almost 70 percent of the time and it's you know doing okay but nothing special uh that's how you walk away with only four strikeouts but also that's how you walk away with only giving up two earned runs so overall a decent day from joe ryan uh, the offense basically was non-existent, though, and that's because Chris McKenzie had 10 strikeouts that day. Uh, total of 16 strikeouts for the Twins batters. The only bright spot here, well, maybe two bright spots. Michael A. Taylor had three hits and two steals. He was pretty much the only guy getting on pace. Willie Castro had the only run of the day with a solo homer in the eighth. And the rest of the team only managed for one hit and two walks. And I did like the uh, the Twiki Town headline for this one where... Um, was this a quad a team i don't know <laughs> yeah uh I, I believe my headline for the game recap was saints can't score yeah so, yeah exactly um yeah the uh the, it, it was not great outside of taylor who just randomly had a good game and normally you know you wouldn't expect taylor to do much of anything right sure. um with this one the one at bat that really bothered me the twins were up one to zero again uh, but then in the seventh inning, when Joe Ryan was back out there, mm-hmm. um, he walked Jose Ramirez with two outs and then was facing Josh Naylor. Caleb Thielbar was getting warm in the pen in the bullpen was ready to come in and they left Joe Ryan in to face Josh Naylor. And that's another one where the pitch count was low. You want to trust, you know, Joe Ryan, who more likely than not is going to be an all-star this year, mm-hmm. but against Josh Naylor, who is significantly worse against lefties than righties. That's where you have to bring in Caleb Thielbar, you know, regardless of the situation. And uh, Thielbar eventually came in and faced Andre Jimenez, who hit a triple off the wall. That's how they got their two runs with the Naylor double off the wall and then the Jimenez triple off the wall. But again, it's one where if you just bring Thielbar in one batter earlier, Josh Naylor has a 563 career OPS against lefties. And so maybe they pinch hit for him, maybe they don't, but either way, mm-hmm. you're better off facing a righty against Caleb Thielbar than a Josh Naylor against Joe Ryan in that situation. And so that that's one where, again, I think you're letting the pitch count dictate the decision a little bit too much over the situation. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's the seventh inning, you know, it's not right. Joe Ryan with 80 pitches. It's the seventh inning of a game a one, you know, a one zero lead. Like you have, I mean, again, Caleb Thibar came off IL who knows what was going on there, but they clearly, he was healthy enough to come back to the, to the team. You have your lefty kind of for these specific situations. It's like, why don't you use him there? Right. Especially Thielbar, who's the perfect lefty to face other lefties. Cause he has that uh, big slider. He's got pretty good velo on the fastball. Mm-hmm. And so you just put those two things together and, you know, it tends to work out pretty well more often than not against lefties. And so, right. you know, I, I'm not that upset about the offense just because it was the saints lineup for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. Your three, four, five batters were Donovan Solano, Max Kepler, and Ryan Jeffers. Ryan Jeffers has been good this year. Donovan Solano, we just sang his praises. Max Kepler has been god awful, but yeah. you know that's still in any situation not what you want. Three, four, five against a division rival, right? And so, plus you're going up against Tristan McKenzie, who you know I, I've mentioned this before, where Shane Bieber gets a lot of the attention for the Guardians because he has that Cy Young win in 2020. Mm-hmm. 
But McKenzie is the guy who is the ace of that staff, who is yeah. going to be a thorn in the twin side for if the Guardians have it their way the next ten years. Ugh. And so he, you know, he, he doesn't have super high velocity, but his stuff, he, it's always located well. Last year, especially, you really saw him dial in on the walks, which were kind of his main last thing. But he, he has kind of that same Joe Ryan deceptive fastball that you know he gets it up to ninety four, ninety five. He's sitting more around ninety three. And yeah, that, that guy is really, really good. And so there's no shame in, you know, striking out 10 times against Tristan McKenzie with that lineup. Right. Yeah. The only thing about McKenzie is just if he's going to stay healthy because he's right. legitimately a stick. His nickname is sticks and he looks exactly. like he's so skinny. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's actually a little bit impressive that he's able to generate that much velocity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, you know, that was the series it was two, two, um, you know, you, you usually want to do well in these division ones, especially at home. Um, I mean, we had a series loss at Cleveland, and so it would have been nice to have a series win here at home. But there will be plenty of other chances as the season goes on. I mean, yes, we're about a third of the way through, so you know, the, all these games are consequential. But um, if it feels good to at least have the Guardians not gain any games on us in this series, because that easily could have happened. Um, and overall. Yeah, it sets up a pretty challenging uh, next two weeks for the Twins. Definitely. The uh, the the thing I'll say about the Guardians, too, is we don't play them again until August, I believe, because of the new balance schedule. And so when we face them, most likely the Twins are going to be a pretty different team, both because people will be healthy, and hopefully they'll have made one or two additions to the bullpen. They'll have maybe another bat in the lineup uh, that they'll pick up at the trade deadline. And so – and, and – at the same time, there's a good chance the Guardians look different too, but in a worse mm-hmm. way. Shane Bieber has been all over trade rumors because he's expensive now. He has only a year of control after this. And so there's a chance that you know even if the Guardians are in the playoff race because of how they operate their team, that Shane Bieber uh, isn't with them at, after the trade deadline. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about uh, some general thoughts from the week, including Max Kepler and why I hate him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. So we have two main topics of conversation I want to hit today before we wrap up. Uh, first, I want to talk about Max Kepler. So there's been a lot of discourse about this situation, and I think understandably, uh, where Max Kepler, who has been performing very, very poorly um, to start the season, he's had some good stretches in the middle, kind of after his last IL stint, he looked a little bit better. Uh, but really, ever since then, and especially after coming off of the IL this most recent time, he has looked frankly, just lost at the plate where he just looks like the worst version of himself. He's grounding grounding the ball weakly over to the right side. Uh, He's popping out all the time. And it's just all the stuff you don't like to see with Max Kepler combined with, uh, you know, just not the same power that you would like to see out of Kepler despite the ground outs. And so there's been a lot of discourse that's popped up about Matt Wallner and Trevor Larnick and how, um, you know, maybe it's, better to get their bats in the lineup over Kepler's defense and the value that he brings there. Um, The one thing I'll say with that is 
with Matt Wallner, I think we're all overreacting to eight good plate appearances where he had that uh, stretch over two games where he reached base eight straight times. I think he had a couple homers mixed in there. But before that, I think he was hitting like 100 somewhere around there. I think it was and like so, 077. Right. Like and, it and was so, bad. It, really bad. And so, and, you know, kind of, he got a little bit more of an extended look last year as well, where he looked not great, but again, not that expect unexpected for somebody's first look in the majors. So Matt Walner, I'm not all that worked up about, you know, maybe not getting him regular major league at bats, especially because he still has another year of options the year after this. The issue that I have is going to be when Trevor Larnick makes his way back. And if Max Kepler is still getting at bats over Larnick in the lineup, because while Larnick has had his fair share of issues offensively, he's been better than Max Kepler. And so he doesn't bring the same defensive value that Kep brings. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Lar- Larnick, I think, is still leading the team in RBIs despite injured list stints and being optioned down to the minors. And he's the one where he's out of options after this year. It's basically you have to figure out now whether he's part of your long-term plans or not. And you are put yourself in a little bit of a weird position because you want to – theoretically run out the best lineup every day because you're trying to compete for the division. You're trying to make the playoffs. But I also think that Larnick is better right now offensively than Kepler is offensively. And that's what matters more right now than the defense. The pitching has been really, really good. The bullpen could use some help, but the starting pitching especially has been good enough where if there's one or two plays a game that Kepler would make that Larnick doesn't, I'm okay with that, right? I will take that exchange of taking the bat for the defense. Uh, but John, what what do you think about you know Walner, Larnick, Kepler? What would you do in this situation if you're the Twins? Yeah, it's kind of a tough one because the nice thing for Larnick is that RBI number, right? Like yeah. he is leading the team in RBIs. When you look at the slash line, like a few things stand out, right? So uh, uh, Kepler is batting 198. You never want to be under 200, right? So clearly, he's doing poorly. Larnick is batting 215. So it's better, but not that much better. The slugging percentage, which we often associate with, you know, you know, kind of Larnick being that good, he's slugging 392. Kepler is slugging 388. Kepler has six homers. Larnick has five homers. I I don't know. Like when you look at the stats, it looks it, it looked very similar, except for the RBI number. Now, yeah. that all being said, I do think we are getting to the point where it is looking more and more like you have to put someone with more offense in the lineup. And as anecdotal as it can be, it, it Larnick just feels like a better power hitter than Kepler. Yeah. And um, it, despite what the numbers say, right. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too, too, you know, too much in the weeds there um, with, you know, what stats are and things like that, because I, I just think Larnick is providing more, uh, more value uh, in the lineup. Yes, his glove isn't as good as Kepler. Like Kepler is still looking at the defensive metrics. He's been elite in in right field this year. Um, but it is one of those things where it is probably getting close to the point where he's been doing so poorly in his coming back, and Larnick is probably going to come off the aisle real soon. Um, to me, it probably makes more sense to to have Larnick um, up and have Kep come off the bench. Um, yeah. I, I think I'm with you there. And my point that I would make to put Larnick in the lineup over Kepler would just be, okay, maybe the numbers this year are pretty similar, right? But Larnick has crushed AAA pitching, right? We have yeah. seen him destroy that anytime he's been down there the last two years. 
uh, versus Kepler. Maybe he would crush AAA pitching too, but it doesn't really matter because he is 30. He is in the last year of his deal, assuming the Twins buy him out after this year, which I would assume they do, or any mm-hmm. other team that he potentially would have gotten dealt to. Um, and we have you know, basically a two-year-long experience here where Kepler has not been an above-average hitter. He was last, according to o- by OPS, he was last an above-average hitter in 760 when he had a 109 OPS plus. OPS plus 100 is average, above that better, below that worse, right? Then his only other year besides that where he was above average was 2019 where he hit 36 home runs, mm-hmm. thanks in large part to the juice ball that year, right? right. And so we have two seasons one of them being the 2020 shortened season where he played 48 games where he's had an above average ops every other year of his career besides that has been below average now when they signed kepler to that extension they knew that right they knew that most likely this is an average hitter if we can develop him a little bit more even better Mm -hmm. but we're at the point now where we're we're at the end of the line for kepler we're at the beginning for larnik and so Larnick has the potential at least to be an impact bat, despite the numbers being similar this year. I don't think there's any situation where Max Kepler becomes a middle of the order that bad at this point in his career. Yeah. And like to maybe, maybe talk about stats, even though I don't always want to talk about it. Like they they basically have played the same number of games, right? Larnick's played around 39 um, and uh, Kepler's played 35. So very similar. Uh, Larnick's, Op, uh, WRC plus is 97. So he's a below a little bit below average. 100 is average. But Kepler is 82. So it's right. like so Larnick is, you know, basically a 15% better hitter. Part of that is the OBP is really nice. Like he is getting more walks than um than Kepler is. He is striking out a lot more than Kepler. Yeah. So there's the good and the bad with this too. We're not saying put Larnick in and this fixes the offense. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, like Larnick is kind of the future. The twins need to decide are that what are they going to do with him? It, it's, it's a little similar to the Brent Rooker sort of thing where, you know, he played up here for two, three years. Twins thought, eh, there's not really a lot that we're seeing from here. They ship him off. He does poorly last season. So it looks like a good thing. Obviously he's doing well this season, but it, that is what it is, but they have to see what they have in Larnick at least. And yeah. I think being able to see that this season, will allow them to make a decision on whether they want to, you know, keep him um, or maybe they move on to Walner or something like that. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. frankly too, you know, I, I talked about the trade, de- trade deadline before, maybe it's just a chance to bump up Larnick's trade value. Maybe you don't want him long-term, but if you can, if he can come up here before he got the pneumonia stretch, he was looking a little bit better than he had before he was optioned back down to triple a. And so, if you can show that he has value, and I think he does have value, and I think a lot of teams would value him pretty highly, that's another way you can use Larnick too, right? There's no – everybody wants to be like, oh, who can we get for Max Kepler? You can't get anything for Max Kepler at this yeah. point, right? Like the only thing you can maybe get is a little bit of salary relief. You're not getting anything of value back. Yeah. Um, and so even if you just want to look at it exclusively that way, you can do you can do that as well. And we know that you know the floor with this really cold stretch that Larnick had, he's still better offensively than Kepler has been at any point this year. Mm-hmm. And yep. we know that we've seen the hot streaks. We've seen when he's had things going well that he can be a middle-of-the-order bat. And so that's what I'm saying. Right now, it would be little to anything. Right now, he's also working back from pneumonia, right? He's getting his conditioning back up. And so he's not. He's still on the injured list doing a rehab assignment. But mm-hmm. once he's healthy, once Gallo is healthy, then you're running out your offense. You're probably better off running with Gallo, and Larnick in the corners and Kirloff at first and Kepler on the bench, right? And so that that would be what I would do. I think the one other situation to look at would be the center field situation. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Zach Koenig for us at Twinkie Town wrote about this earlier this week where he was talking about how Cap at this point, if you know he can't play center field, then maybe he doesn't really have a role on the team when everybody's healthy. Um, where if you're getting that same offensive production out of center field, that's not as big of a deal as getting it out of the corner outfield spot. Right, yeah. Like and so, he's a better hitter than Mike Lloyd Taylor. You could probably say that, right? right? But if right. he doesn't I, want to play center, then it doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, I, statistically, that's actually not true. But I would say in general, <laughs> yeah. most likely yeah. Kepler is a better hitter than Michael A. Taylor. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like you mentioned, Aaron Gleeman reported earlier this week uh, in a story about Max Kepler that he doesn't want to play center field. That back in, uh, I think it was 2019, 2020, somewhere around there, he went to the front office and said, hey, I want to stay in a corner. I want to play there, which is why, despite the many injuries that we've seen with Buxton and backup options over the year, we've seen Jake cave out there. We've seen Nick Gordon out there and we haven't mm-hmm. seen Max Kepler. Right. And so uh, I, I think though, again, we're getting to this point now where you have to have that hard conversation with Max of if you want to have a role on this team, other than bench bat occasional, you, you know, basically the Nick Gordon role where he was playing in the lineup once, maybe twice a week, he's mm-hmm. pinch running occasionally is maybe a defensive substitution. So if you want a role besides that, you have to take reps in center field because that's the only spot we have for you right now. Yeah. Uh, this is not really that hot of a tick because there were the offseason rumors about it, but I would not be surprised if it gets traded to the Yankees for like a reliever. Yeah. I, but I think even with the Yankees, the Yankees need somebody in center field, right? They have their corners covered. They have yeah. Stanton and Judge that are playing out there more often than not um, with their DH being taken by some of their infielders. And so even if he gets traded to the Yankees, that's another place where he needs to play in center. And so whether it's with the Twins or it's with somebody else, if he can put up that same offense, he can play pretty good defense, he's a lot more valuable for the Twins or any other team in center field than in a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens with this decision. I, uh, I mean, Larnick is due off the aisle soon ish but um yeah i don't don't, the timing on this will be very interesting it's a decision that they don't have to make yet right where larnick when he comes back off the il he's probably slotting in every day in left field because joey gallo is now on the il with the hamstring strain and so they have nine days from today or eight days from tomorrow when this episode comes out until they have to make the decision on what to do with max kepler until then he's probably in the lineup every day because they don't have a better option once gallo is back that's a different story Mm -hmm. um if you want to make the argument that walner's a better option i won't disagree with you but i also again think we overreacted a bit to eight plate appearances oh completely yeah (laughs) all right um so that kind of leads us into our Final topic we want to hit here, which is all of the injuries and the reason the Twins were running out a horrible lineup against a division rival. So I kind of have these organized in order of importance. And like they were a couple weeks ago, they are a lengthy list. And so we'll start with Byron Buxton, who was hit in the ribs by a 96 mile an hour fastball. Um, it sounds like there's a pretty good chance he plays Tuesday. But at the time, he was, he was pretty banged up. They're trying to avoid put, putting him on the injured list because they need his bat in the lineup. Uh, but he gave some quotes the day after it happened where he wasn't even able to lay down because of the pain. He had to sleep in a chair sitting up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that's obviously concerning, but nothing was broken. It's just a pretty bad bruise, it sounds like. Yeah, I just uh, – I, I am very curious what, what they end up doing with Buxton this season, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. There was um, an article over at Twins Daily where they were saying, like, basically Buxton needs to play in center to validate his uh, – his role in the team basically take him out of the TH role. And I, it was kind of interesting because the, the the way they were making the argument was that his OPS is like only in the 700. So yeah. I mean, that is your DH isn't the greatest, but 
and yeah, he's had a lot of cold spells this season, but um, man, it, it is getting to the point where similar to the Kepler thing, like Buxton being in the DH role is preventing the team from maybe bringing up better bats because you'll have to run with Michael A. Taylor every day right. in center. Whether they start doing like maybe like three days in center every week or something like that, I, I'm very curious what, what they decide to do because him as the full-time DH role, as successful as it's been in terms of his health, um, in terms of getting the best bats on the field, maybe it's been limiting a little bit. Um, but, you know, with this type of injury, at least we know it's not like a, a thing that's going to put him on the IL. And uh, hopefully this, this gives the team more opportunity to kind of figure out what they want to do with the offense with him out for a couple of games. I'm going to make a statement here that I 100% believe, which is I don't think we see Buxton in the field at any point this regular season mm. unless it's an emergency situation right unless it's like he's DHing and three guys got hurt and there's literally not a single other position player that can go out there yeah i think that's the only situation we see buxton in the field in this regular season i think that the knee didn't recover how the twins wanted it to in the off season i think mm-hmm. he needs kind of another off season for that to come back yeah and so I'm almost positive, given the way that he's been handled, given how nicked up and injured he's been despite not playing in the field already, I'm almost positive that we don't see Buxton in the field at all in the regular season. Now, maybe once they get to the playoffs, I'm like, okay, let's run Buxton out there so that we can do it. Mm -hmm. But I I think before that, it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, honestly, I'm kind of there with you as well. I mean, they can take off days of the DH role just to give him maybe a little rest here and there. Right. Um, So it's not like him being the full-time DH is blocking anyone else from, like, being in the DH role. Um, I can see them doing that with, you know, Correa or maybe with, with Larnick or Walner, depending on when they come up. But um, yeah, it is one of those things where I am curious what the twins are, are going to do because they haven't really said anything beyond Buxton was going to DH all month in April. Yeah. They've kind of kept the status quo. And I think if there was any chance of him playing in the field, they would have given some more quotes to that effect of like, Oh yeah, we're working on it with them, but they're just saying, no, it's not, we're, we're just happy with what we're doing. And yeah. so I think there's very little chance he plays out there at all, which, you know, if it's a one season thing, that's not the end of the world. If it really is just that need didn't recover like they wanted and next year we'll revisit it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. If he's only a DH for the rest of his career, I think that's different, but I don't think that'll necessarily be the case uh, for Byron. The other thing I'll say too, is I have been working on my big trade uh article that I do every year for Twinkie Town, which basically is just here are the needs for the team. And here are, you know, here's a couple good candidates. Here's some great candidates. Here's some guys where it's like, if they're available, maybe go out and get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have three needs I've identified for the twins, which is relief pitcher and impact bat. Obviously the third one I have is center fielder because I don't think Buxton's going to be playing out there. And I think they would prefer to have Michael A. Taylor in a bench role. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's something that I think they'll be actively looking for at the deadline. Maybe not even somebody um, who is, you know, an everyday bat, but somebody you can at least platoon with Michael A. Taylor to give Taylor some days off, if nothing else. Sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's been Willie Castro, and it's been hit or miss sometimes with that. It's technically been Willie Castro. I don't think anybody likes having Willie Castro in center field, the Twins no. included. Yeah. All right. Next update is Carlos Correa. So he had the plantar fasciitis strain. Um, which seems like this is something that's going to have to be managed throughout the season based off of kind of what's happened since the injury where it's been re-aggravated a couple times and, you know, he'll come back in a couple of days later, say he feels totally fine. And then what happened with this re-aggravation was he was just throwing some warm-up throws with Alex Kirilov, stepped a little bit funny and had to be removed from the game. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so this is something where um, it's probably going to have to be managed throughout the year. Uh, Royce Lewis, who had an injury of his own today when he fell on his head uh, in a very scary moment, seems like he's going to be okay, but it makes having Royce Lewis healthy and available even more important because, yep. you know, probably the best version of the Twins doesn't have Kyle Farmer at short. He did have a really nice play at short yesterday. That's true. But, um, but yeah, it's it's nice to have that little stopgap at least to know that you've got a, a quality defensive um, shortstop in, in Royce Lewis if you really need it. Yeah, and I think if Correa does miss extended time, the obvious fill-in on the roster is Jose Miranda, um, who still hasn't been lighting it up at AAA, but has been looking a little bit better. He finally hit a home run the other day. And so if Correa misses extended time, I think there's a good chance we see uh, Miranda back at third and Lewis back at short. Um, so the next injury update, we already mentioned Joey Gallo went to the IL with a hamstring strain. Uh, this seemed like it dated back to his injury a couple weeks ago where it just never quite healed up quite right. He never really looked comfortable at the field, uh, in the field and at the plate. The twins notably were playing him mostly at first base to keep him off of that. Uh, despite Alex Kirilov not being a great defensive left fielder. Um, and so that's one where I think after the 10 days, he should pretty much be fine. I'm not really worried about it long-term. Uh, and it'll be good to have a healthy Gallo back in the lineup because, you know, the, the Twins need his power. Yeah. I was a little surprised that the corresponding move was Kyle Garlic and not Matt Wallner, but um, it is what it is. Yeah, that was mostly because they're facing a few lefties and right. maybe with Buxton unable to play, you know, it's like, hey, well, let's make sure we get another righty in the lineup here. But I think after we get through this lefty stretch, the other reason was uh, they're maybe going to face Shane McClanahan on Tuesday, but the Rays kind of re rejuggled their rotation after his scheduled start got rained out early this week. So he's yeah. actually starting tomorrow and the twins won't face him. Correct. Thank goodness. Uh, which while garlic did hit two home runs off of him last year, I will always take not facing Shane McClanahan. <laughs> Completely. Uh, I don't is... want to be relying on Kyle garlic to be the hero of this, this series. Yeah, I'll take not facing a uh, Cy Young candidate any day. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so the next update is Lornick, who you already mentioned. He just started his rehab assignment. He had a two-home run, two-run home run yesterday. Uh, I don't think he played today, but for Lornick, this one is mostly about getting the conditioning back after pneumonia. Um, I have never had pneumonia. My dad has had it a few times, and every time, you know, it's both getting sick itself and then just your lung capacity after pneumonia is pretty mm-hmm. low, and so you just kind of got to work yourself back up to it. And so I think that's mostly what they're waiting on with Lornick here. Yeah, we'll see what he looks like when he's back. He's he's eligible to come off the the IL, so they're pretty much just just waiting and seeing with yeah. him. I, I think as soon as he's ready, we'll we'll see him up for garlic, and they'll just make that switch pretty easily. He'll be back in the lineup every day in left field. So. Yeah. Um, the next one, Kenta Maeda. So he has uh, played two games for the Saints, six total innings. He pitched two in the first game. He pitched four today. Uh, this is mostly based on pitch counts, uh, more than innings itself, but see him continue to ramp up, uh, the pitch counts as we go throughout his rehab assignment here. So pitchers, unlike hitters, hitters get 20 days on a rehab assignment, pitchers get 30. And I think the twins will take 100% complete advantage of this because they don't want to make a decision yet, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of look at this almost as a, 
lucky option that they kind of get with Kenta Maeda where they can kind of keep him down at AAA, let him work on some things. Obviously he wants to ramp back up after some extended time off, but, you know, tweak the pitch mix, see, you know, now that he's come back from surgery, if there's maybe a different mix that he can find that works a little bit better. Um, and, you know, with the 30 days, like we've always seen, there's always a good chance that somebody gets hurt in that time. And then we need Kenta Maeda, which is why they're having him built back up as a starter anyway. Yeah, and we'll see what happens because right now Varland is looking real good. Yeah, I, I would not make that move, but I'm not the twins. I'm also not in the locker room dealing with uh, everybody's personality day to day, which I know also plays a big part into this. Yep. And so we'll see what happens. But unless somebody really falls off, I think the twins would be hard pressed to take uh, Varland or Ober, frankly, out of the everyday rotation with how good they've been. Yeah. Um, so some other more minor updates. So the corresponding move for Caleb Thielbar coming back, uh, I believe it was today, maybe yesterday. Uh, but the corresponding move was Cole Sands being put on the injured list with a shoulder impingement. Uh, I had not heard anything about a Cole Sands injury. So, and he has options. So it's not like this is just like, oh, let's find an injury to put him on the injured list to make a move. This seems like it's genuinely something. And so he's been pretty good in long relief for the Twins and probably their best long relief option that they've had so far this year. Uh, but again, it's Cole Sands. Cole Sands isn't going to make or break your season. So. Yeah, exactly. Although I was excited because his uh, um, walk-up music, I mean, technically not his walk-up music, just when he comes to this really, it was Darude Sandstorm. Uh, but, <laughs> but then they, the one time I was at a game and they and he came in, uh, they didn't play it. And I was like, what Oh, no. I know. When you have your last name Sands, you got to take advantage of this. You can't oh, do Enter Sandman, right? That one's taken no. by yes. far. But yeah. if you're going to do the other one, Sandstorm, that's great. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, we will not be able to hear that for another at least 15 days. Yeah. So the last one here, uh, our old friend and walking base running mistake, Hilberto Celestino, <laughs> started a rehab assignment uh, with the Fort Myers Miracle. He's only played in one game. He went one for two. This is another one where the twins, I imagine, will just take the full rehab assignment, make sure he's fully ready to go um, in case they don't need to use an option if somebody gets hurt and he gets uh, played up. He's the other one here who could play into the center field mix. Um, I think the twins would love to have him spend you know, a month or two in AAA and really get some seasoning that he's been forced to miss out on because of injuries and roster situations in the past. But the other problem with that is if they bring him up for the center field mix with Michael A. Taylor, he's also a right-handed bat. And I think the Twins would strongly prefer someone who can hit from the left side to platoon with uh, Taylor there. Yeah, uh, I just – for Celestino's good, I think he should stay in AAA this entire season. So yeah. it, would, it would truly be unfortunate if the Twins had to call him up. You're probably right, but as we've seen uh, – a lot of those things aren't up to the twins because I think if the yeah, twins had it their true. way, they would they would one hundred percent agree with you. But uh, the the center field depth chart is incredibly thin right now with yep. uh, Nick Gordon hurt and Byron Buxton unable to play there. So uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if you see Celestino at some point this year still. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. All right, so a quick look ahead to next week. Uh, they will be off tomorrow and then they'll be at the Rays for three games and the Blue Jays for three games. The Rays are the best team in baseball. They are incredible pitching. All of their hitters seemingly have broken out at the exact same time. Wander Franco is maybe the early MVP in the season. Uh, they have, and like I said, McClanahan already, he's the you know early Cy Young candidate here. And so they have all the makings of a team to be scared of. 
yeah, I mean, best team OPS. They've had the most homers in the league. They're second in RBI. The only nice thing about the whole pitching thing is that um, they have the fifth best team area, fifth best whipped, but the Twins are second and first in those categories, respectively. So they might have great pitching, but we do too. Unfortunately, we don't have the same type of offense <laughs> that they do. Yeah. Uh, one, one other hitter I want to call out for the Rays really quick, just because he's kind of like one of my favorite stories this year, is uh, Yandy Diaz, mm, yeah. who uh, was very good before this year and got a three-year extension because he was very good before this year. Uh, he was kind of poster boy for guy who makes hard contact but and doesn't strike out, but historically hits the ball into the ground. Mm-hmm. This year, he randomly decided to start lifting the ball. He's hitting home runs and is still hitting over 300. So, uh, yeah, Yandy Diaz is incredible. I still remember him from when he was with the Guardians and was a nothing prospect. And mm, so yeah. just another classic race success story of taking nobodies and turning them into reliable, good, everyday major leaguers. Right. So, yeah, we do get to avoid Shane McClanahan, but we still face uh, Zach Eflin and Tyler Glasnow. Glasnow, of course, um, missed all of last season with an elbow injury and Tommy John. Um, but he came back this season, had an oblique injury at the start of the season, so he hasn't pitched too much. But in his last two starts, he's looked pretty solid. And Glasnow is kind of one of the filthiest pitchers on the face of the earth. So um, hopefully he is not on uh, <laughs> this week. Yeah, he also looks exactly like Killian Murphy, the actor. Um, So if he, Killian Murphy, if you don't know, he is starring in uh, the Oppenheimer movie that's coming out this summer. So you've probably seen his face around. They they look exactly the same. The only difference is Tyler Glasnow is like six eight and massive. So um, you know he he towers over Killian Murphy. But it always throws me off every time I see him because I'm like I've seen you in so many movies. It's it's like a spot on comparison. The the. Yeah, the similarity is a little uncanny, actually. <laughs> it legitimately looks like someone. If you look at his like uh, profile picture, just like the first thing you search up on on Google, it literally looks like someone put gave Killian Murphy like a Tampa Bay hat and long hair. Like, yeah, it's it's, just, it's a little scary, actually. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, and then the other uh, player, the Twins are facing Zach Eflin, another classic race success story of oh my decent starter with the Phillies. Nothing really to write home about the. Yeah. Uh, Rays pick him up. The Rays turn him into suddenly one of the best pitchers in the American League. They tweak his mechanics a little bit, find a little more velo, find a little more break on the slider, and now he looks great. Yep. Uh, he got sent to the bullpen last year for the Phillies, and then the Rays were like, yeah, we'll sign this guy for three years, $30 million. And it's like, wait, why are you doing that? He was like a bad pitcher last year. And it's like, oh, we can turn this around. And anytime the Rays spend money, that's where that's always the stuff that intrigues me, right? Oh, so like Yandy Diaz being one yeah. example – uh, Zach Eflin being another Wander Franco signing him to the massive extension that he got, I think last year it's yeah. A- anytime they spend big money, that's just something to pay attention to. Right. Cause mm-hmm. they don't do that and they're always really good. So yeah, exactly. And then looking forward to Toronto. Um, we just lost a series to them. So I already know a decent amount of them. Thankfully we only had to face, um, Yusei Kikuchi and Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman, who's obviously really good. But Kikuchi and Manoa, Manoa have both been pretty bad this season, especially Manoa, who was an all-star last year. He's been pretty much hot garbage this season. So hopefully the Twins office can take advantage in the uh, friendly hitter confines of Rogers Center. Definitely. And hopefully they're running out there with a little bit healthier of a lineup. Buxton, Correa, hopefully Royce Lewis is in there, Alex Kirilov, and I think everybody will be much better uh, that way as well. 
Yeah, it will be a pretty tough travel weekend, though, because they're going down to Tampa, and then immediately after the game against Tampa, they are flying up to Toronto. So um, not an easy travel schedule for the Twins this week. Yeah, definitely. But uh, again, another week where it'll be a good measurement week to see where they're at relative to their competition. We saw a little bit of that this week, too. And in all things considered, I think turned out pretty well winning a series against the Astros, splitting with the Guardians. Uh, this week will be a little bit tougher. But I think given the pitching, the Twins are always going to be in the game, which is very refreshing. So um, some quick shout out, shout outs and plugs here before we wrap up. Uh, be sure to check out Twinkie Town for all of your Twins needs. Again, we cover every single game. Uh, game threads are a really fun way to spend the games if you're interested and in just kind of having some casual chats with other uh, Twins fans. We've got a really good people in those, a uh, group of people in those every day. And then be sure to te- check out John at PitcherList and on his Fantasy Baseball podcast where you can find out all of the dirt you need to know about Emmanuel Classe. <laughs> yeah. uh, John, what is your fantasy tip for this week? Uh, pick up Braxton Garrett. Braxton really Garrett. Good. Hmm. And he's not rostered enough, in my opinion. Here, here's what I need uh, is I need any sort of hitter. My pitching has been great on my fantasy team. My mm. hitting has been just awful. I cannot find anybody who will consistently produce. I picked up, uh, shoot, the uh, Mets catcher, Alvarez, Francisco oh, yeah. Alvarez, mm-hmm. and immediately he stopped hitting. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's fantasy life, isn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Nick, Nick Castellanos might have been dropped in a couple leagues because he was hot garbage and he was like really mm. good this weekend, so... If he's available, maybe pick him up if some guy rage dropped him, you know, a couple weeks ago. There you go. All right. Well, be sure to also follow us individually on Twitter if you're interested. You can follow John at the John Cut and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, if you liked what you listened to, what you heard here, be sure to follow us on Twitter and on uh, your podcast platform of choice and give us a five star rating. Uh, but until next week, go twins.